The Spectator combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, and get a £20 Amazon gift voucher absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk slash summer. Hello and welcome to Coffeehouse Shots, The Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Max Jeffrey, and I'm joined by Katie Bulls and Isabel Hardman. Katie, we did a podcast yesterday just after Rishi Sunak announced his pay offer to teachers and nurses. How has it landed? Rishi Sunak was helped, as we talked about yesterday, by the news, um, which they has secured in advance, I think, for these various meetings, that four of the teaching unions are putting this out. And I think there, partly because the teachers' pay rise is the one they're saying is fully funded, um, that is the least controversial. And there is optimism that the school strikes at least could be over. The less good news, I think we hinted at, but I think has, was confirmed after recording, is, for example, that the BMA have rejected the public sector pay rise for junior doctors. Now, this isn't that surprising because ultimately uh, the independent pay review body recommended a 6% pay rise for junior doctors and they want a 35% pay rise. So you can see a situation where that is not resolving itself. Will either side move? If you take number 10 at their word and what they're saying, it seems very unlikely. I think partly because if you look at the the current agreement, I think the government thinks it's gone quite far by accepting all these independent pay review bodies. And they don't actually know where all these savings yet are going to come from. You keep hearing, well, that would be for Secretary of State to decide within their own departments. And obviously, some money is coming through NHS surcharge, visa, and so forth. But there's some difficult decisions coming down the track. And therefore, the idea, I think, that on top of that, they would then extend it to a certain level is not impossible. But I don't think I think all the language from Richard, you know, suggesting he won't be bullied and so forth. And also just how far apart means that I think instead the strategy is much more we've been reasonable. Let's see if, uh, you know, we get anything back. And if not, will public opinion start to turn on those who are refusing to come back? Because look, the teachers and others, including nursing, have come back round the table. I also think there's an interesting point about the unions. And I suppose how they're seen in government, something I write about in the Times today is in number 10, I think... There's a sense that some of these union leaders have been around a bit longer, or I suppose they all have different approaches. But I think those unions that have come up with very high pay demands are seen as, you know, I think, seen as grown ups and children effectively in the union leaders, which will, I'm sure will charm the BMA even further to number 10. Um, but, but effectively, I think the idea that they've gone and said we want 35%, there's now scepticism that they would even be able to sell something to their members because they've gone. But you look at some of these other union leaders and they've never put a, a number on it. And that means when they have got something, they can go and make it more clearly. And I think Pat Cullen, who age-wise is, is not close to a child unlike some of these junior doctors I guess you look at is also one where they, if you say these certain figures you saw it then they struggled to sell it and it adds to it so I think that's another element going on here. Isabel would you take number 10 at its word? Katie mentioned Rishi Sunak's comments about not being bullied he said there will be no more talks on pay. Yeah, so this is a kind of a new phase really of the way in which the government wants to talk about and to the unions, it's a much more Thatcherite um, way of, of, of approaching it. And I think it's, you know, it's gone down well with Conservative MPs. They they like the, the particularly the use of the word bullied, actually, because they, they, they think it shows a, a strong Conservative government. It obviously reminds them of you know, their greatest prime minister ever. 
and they think it sets up a good dividing line for the general election as well. Whether it holds as a line or not, I mean, you know, we we have had final payoffs before and they haven't held. And we have also had, with previous pay rounds, long delays in agreeing what seemed to be inevitable from the outset, particularly when it came to um, uh, nurses and other healthcare workers. So it's sort of, um, yeah, whether it will hold or not, I'm I'm not entirely sure, but I think it it marks this new phase where Sunak is really keen to drive home the message that the fragility of some of the biggest public sector institutions, particularly the NHS, is down to the unions. And so, you know, you can just see as the Prime Minister comes to terms with the likelihood that he won't be meeting his five pledges, NHS waiting lists are not going down, you can see how it would be beneficial to start preparing the ground for blaming various obstacles to meeting those pledges, whether it's the healthcare unions on NHS waiting lists or whether it's, you know, on Stop the Boats, the, the lefty lawyers like Keir Starmer who just keep getting in the way. I think it's worth asking, though, if you're thinking about obstacles to getting your way, whether the Conservative Party itself might be one of the main ones uh, on other things, particularly when it comes to productivity and growing the economy. I mean, we've had, you know, Major House Builder Barrett today saying they may be building 20% fewer homes this year. Um, and, I, you know, whose fault could that possibly be? I'm not sure it's Keir Starmer standing in front of the bulldozers and abolishing mandatory housing targets. So, uh, so I, you know, I, that blame game can only take you so far. And Katie, looking ahead to next week, there are three by-elections in one day. There's Uxbridge and South Ryslip in West London, Selby and Ainsley in North Yorkshire, and Somerton and Froome in the South West. Um, what's the latest with those seats? How are they looking for each of the parties? I mean, none of them are looking great, Max. I think if you speak to Tory MPs, aides, um, campaigners, all those you know Tory activists who've gone out campaigning, I think there's just a sense of pessimism. So I think I think it's seen as very plausible that they lose all three. I think for Rishi Sunak, if he were to hold one at this point, everyone would be like, "Wow." He's back. There's just such a negative picture around all these things. I think one of the problems, what's quite interesting is in a way you're already getting the blame game before you even get to the by-election results. So, for example, Selby is the one which I think the Tories originally thought they had the best shot in. And that could still be the case. But there are some MPs who are anecdotally saying, well, when I've you know gone to campaign in Uxbridge, I feel we're getting a better hearing than we are getting um, in Selby. And therefore, is it right that we're all being told we have to go to Selby? Should we be more in Uxbridge? And you can just start to see, depending on what happens, how CCHQ could be blamed for where it's diverting resources. You can also, I think, have some, you know, some closer to CCHQ already saying, well, it's actually number 10's fault if we lose all three because it's the national party image and I was saying well are these candidates the right ones so those are the different strands uh, as we head into this I think that Somerset and Froome is seen as just gone I'm yet to speak to any Tory MP who thinks they have a chance there there's some hope you might get it back by the time of the next general election but in terms of the by-election I think that's seen as by far the most negative and then the polling's not really great for Selby or Uxbridge but were we soon to be able to hold on in one of those I think it would be um 
seized on. I think there's also a question as to why the by-elections are happening next week and they didn't happen this week. Because in the background of all this, you have rumours of a reshuffle, which I wrote about um a while ago and one thing's complicating whether that's this side of the summer or uh, when MPs return is if Rishi Sunak loses all three by-election seats is that a great platform on which the following day to start sacking people (laughs) yes perhaps to promote people but that also the saying is you're never more powerful than just before a reshuffle so so I think you'd have to be quite a brave prime minister and look perhaps they'll surprise, but to to effectively do something which always creates some people who feel really left out and unhappy soon after what we expect to be a tricky train results. And I was speaking to someone in in government, they were suggesting that the plan had, what they had wanted to do was to have the by-election this week, and then you'd have space next week to try and do a bit of a reset going into the summer, though no one in number 10 or government will ever use the word reset because it's just panic. But, you know, to something to at least, you know, suggest things are going in a different direction. Uh, we're taking control of things. But that didn't happen for various reasons, some miscommunication. And now you have a situation whereby, what do you do the day after? But going in, I mean, I think anecdotally, lots of people think Uxbridge hasn't been so bad because they're getting a hearing. But I think the caveat is... Often what someone will say to you on the doorstep or um, when you're campaigning isn't necessarily how they're going to vote because they might just want to be quite polite. And also one of the problems I think in places like Selby is because the Tories now where they are in the polls and also the fact that by-elections are even worse normally in terms of tactical voting... Lots of these safe seats that don't actually have amazing data in terms of all the, where all the votes are, which is further making it tricky, um, where in a way, if it's seen as more of a marginal, they have a bit more sense of how to fight it. And I think that's a taster of some of the problems they have at the general election that they're going to have to start preparing for now, given um, if the polls don't, you know, dramatically improve, lots of formerly safe seats are going to be, you know, you have to fight them almost like a marginal. Isabel, what are the um, campaigning strategies of Tories and Labour going into these by-elections? Are the Conservatives trying to blame it on Boris Johnson and on Partygate? What what are they saying to voters on the door now if they're doing so badly? Yeah, so I followed the Tories around in Uxbridge on Tuesday and they basically tried to make the by-election a referendum on the ultra-low emission zone, ULES. Uh, They've got little stop ULES badges. Uh, Their leaflets are all about ULES. When we walked up one person's uh, front path, she said, oh, is this about the ULES? Well, I mean, it's not about the ULES, it's about the by-election. But that's their way of getting away from having to talk about the government's actual record and turning the attack onto Labour, making uh, a Labour MP for the area seem like a risky choice. Sadiq Khan is mentioned far more on the doorstep than the Labour candidates. And uh, Sadiq Khan hasn't been campaigning in the seat for Labour. He's apparently helped at some phone banks um, that, you know, the party aren't, they're not, they're not reminding voters in the constituency um, about the Labour Mayor of London and his ULES plans. Uh, so And ULES did feature a lot when I was um, talking to voters in the town centre as well in Uxbridge. But for Labour, they want to talk about the cost of living. They want to talk particularly about mortgage costs um, because it's a seat with a lot of uh, heavily mortgaged um, homeowners in their you know, 30s and 40s with families um, who are you know, angry about the Tory mortgage bombshell. In terms of who they might blame it on if they lose it for the Conservatives, I think there is 
I, I mean, we, we, this is very much clutching at straws, but that one straw Rishi Sunak might clutch at is that the Tory MPs I've been talking to have been complaining as much about the organisation of the Uxbridge campaign and the quality of the leaflets and how it's all the fault of people in CCHQ who don't actually like people or campaigning, both of which are quite important if you work in CCHQ, as they are saying, oh, this is because everyone hates Rishi. I mean, that's not really what people are saying. So I think in terms of sort of diffusing the blame, you may well get an inquest that includes a long, hard look at the CCHQ structures and strategies as much as we're not performing as a party in, in the air war. Yeah, I think to Isabel's point, there's lots of complaints at the moment from Tory MPs, as she says, about CCHQ, but also some at the party chairman, Greg Hans. I think people have still not quite forgiven Greg Hans for the expectation management over the local elections, where he said in TV interviews, we could lose up to a thousand seats and they lost over a thousand. And therefore, there's a bit more of a target on his back if there's also, you know, problems in terms of... And lots of these things are unfair if you look at the polls and how you expect to transfer that. But if there are problems and things like leaflets and so forth that Isabel's mentioning, I think there's already someone that people are a bit annoyed at because I think I've made that made that busting the recovery narrative even worse. So you can see to start to see how, how that could shake out. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, Isabel. And thank you very much for listening.